Hello, hello, everyone, my good fellows. Welcome to the Anime Ichiban Podcast, Goomba Stomp's dedicated anime podcast. I am your host, Matthew Ponte. Joining me this week are my award-winning co-hosts, Kyle Rogashow and Harry Morris. How are you guys doing hey, today? Uh, I won an award in hey. sixth and eighth grade for the spelling bee. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I mean. I'm sure you, you both of you had won an award at some point in your lives. So that is not a hmm. that is not a misnomer. You you are award winning co-hosts. It's just that yeah. the adjective has some more degrees of separation to the noun. Oh, don't worry about it. There's a little asterisk up <laughs> yes. there. It's fine. <laughs> but along with the awards, I'm breaking out a new opening segment for this podcast just to uh, get things rolling. We are here to talk about anime, but before we do that, I'm here to grill my co-host a little bit. So we're playing a good all around of Kill Your Babies. Uh, so really quickly. Oh. Is that what we're calling this segment? <laughs> Kill Your Babies? That's Yes, that's what I'm calling it for the time. TVA. TVA asterisks. Uh, what's what? any other? No one. Anyways, Harry. You have the choice between yes. these two shows. One of them gets to live on and will forever be amazing for as long as it is. Like, you don't have to worry about it getting old or anything like that. It will always be top-notch amazing. The other one, okay. you're a race out of existence. It ne- you don't even remember it. It doesn't exist anymore. Written out of oh, history. Man. Okay? Right. So your choices are, come out the big ones, One Piece or My Hero Academia. Oh, you didn't pick JoJo. I thought you. I thought. I thought you were going to say that. Yeah. Um, oh. I want. I want One Piece to continue forever. Um, as much as I love My Hero Academia, as much as I really, really enjoy it as an entertaining show, I feel like One Piece transcends it and becomes sort of like a work of pure genius, a work of pure mm-hmm. art. But I feel will go down in history as one of the greatest stories of fiction ever told. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is why I will preserve One Piece as much as I love My Hero Academia. I think also One Piece has the advantage of like having demonstrated its prowess over. It has it has a legendary status that My Hero Academia doesn't have yet, mm-hmm. so that's why. Who's Deku? Who's that? I don't know why that name's in my head. It's just what? What do you mean? Who's Deku? Yeah, because the the, the, this show doesn't exist Academia. anymore. You erased it out of existence. Oh, of course. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know Deku. why. I don't know why the show's name is popping in my head. I know there's this. I have this imagery of just this really angsty kid blowing stuff he's up. He's not that. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah. oh, he's a Bakugo. Yeah, yeah. Wait, <laughs> it's, it's gone, gone completely. Gone All right, completely Kyle. Existence. Kyle, your turn. I I tried to make these hard. Um, okay. So your choices are Clan Ad, Jesus, or <laughs> uh, Team Romantic Comedy Snafu. Uh oh, uh, that's actually hmm, that's actually pretty easy. No, uh, Clan Ad okay. keeps going. Okay. Um, I do. <laughs> I, I love Snafu. I do really enjoy that show. Uh, I think it's kind of, I'm going to give the same fucking response as Harry, but Clan Ad just transcends <laughs> literally like <laughs> every other slice of life rom-com drama. Like Clan Ad set the benchmark and it hasn't been surpassed yet. That's fair. I, I would agree with that as well. Like, it's just like, I, uh, unless you can Clan think Ad of something still- else that covers... The that exact mix of slice of life, romantic right. comedy, and Clan Ad and to drama. this, 
Clanad to this day still has the capital T most memorable episode of anime of all time to me. Is it like, the Ushio in the field that episode? Ha- it sure is, yeah. Aww. In the second season. Like, yeah. I will vividly yeah. remember that that show for as long as I don't has Alzheimer's, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> like, the only that, one that, I... That, that, the only other one I'd say that might give it a run for its money is Steinsgate. That one would have been a much tougher pick for me. Um, I should have done that one. I yeah, think I was trying to pick two similar kind of shows. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So yeah. And now we need we need to ask the same question to you, Matt. Yeah, come up um, with one. So, so if if you have to choose between Madoka Magica and Kyle, what what should be the show? Good, mm, um, I don't know. It's it's been a while. Matt, Matt's watched <laughs> fruits, too fruits, many shows. Basket fruit. Fruits basket. Oh, there you go. That's a good one. Oh, that's actually a hard one. There that you is go. a hard good one. one. You got, got me. You got me. Got, got me. Cornered. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like, I can't even answer that. Yeah. I, I think what I'm going to go for is that Madoka Magica is the better story, but Fruits Basket is the more important story. Uh, it teaches, a, it, it demonstrates a lot of life lessons and a shows a lot of life's difficulties and how to overcome them and the fortitude of the human psyche. That's just a really important thing for, I think, a lot of people to see. And I think depriving that from the universe would be cruel. Uh, so mm-hmm. Madoka, as much as I love it, is in the end, it's just a really good fucking show, a really good story um, that just con- constantly keeps you thinking. It, yeah, it does touch on trauma and things like that, but it's still like in a fantastical sense. Also, so like overall- I, I, I will. F- Comparatively, Madoka is a bit more nihilistic. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, that, that's the that's the base of its whole show, arguably. Yeah, sure. and like Fruits Basket. I mean, I haven't seen all of it or read all of it, but I'd assume that it still ultimately goes for a positive message. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I'll I'll feed Madoka to the entropy of the universe for this one. <laughs> so there you go. Matt, Matt hates Madoka Magica, and he wants to what wipe show? it from existence because he hates it so much. What? How can I hate something that doesn't exist? What, what show am I so talking we'll about? So we'll never see I think versions of the magical girl. I just went, went to and went to almost like like sleepwalking, but when I was awake, sleep yeah. talking. Yeah, I, what what even happened? Yeah, I don't know why there. Yeah. I, I wrote an article <laughs> about a show that doesn't exist. I I'm not sure that's genius or not. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> you know what? So last that episode sounds like a great premise for a show. Oh, what like some mm. author like. Some suddenly finds a book that they didn't don't have any recollection of writing. Oh, that actually too. Also sounds. Uh, what, what are you thinking? I was just saying, like you know, if you wrote it without knowing what Monica was, it's like you know, you, you have like, oh, the script there, yeah. right? And it's like nobody right, knows that, about this. This is mine now. That, My original. That's work. true. True. To get extra, to get extra meta, it does sound like we are sort of writing an anime series right now about about some sort of disappearing source material. <laughs> that then reappears. That does sound know, pretty. It sounds like anime. Got an interesting idea going here. It sounds like some anime version of Fahrenheit 451. <laughs> I'm not sure if you guys know oh. that book. I I don't. Oh, I that was I will believe high school you. reading. <laughs> yeah. Uh, long story short, it's about books are illegal. Uh, 451 degrees Fahrenheit is the temperature that paper burns. And so that's the Ooh. message behind that. Anyways, so Time. this episode, last episode, I should start with actually, uh, I was talking about how this this anime season is just a banger of all sorts of things happening. And fortunately, we weren't able to talk about a whole lot of it. And so I threatened Harry and Kyle over here that we need to be able to talk about this 
this uh, season. Otherwise, I'm revoking their weeb license. Harry was a little and more diligent damn, about it. D- damn, when when the weeb license came to play, they were suddenly a lot more attentive. I, you don't, I I didn't feel good about doing that. I had to stoop to that level, but desperate times for help for <laughs> desperate measures. And so their weeb license is intact. I've uh, asked them to watch some Wonder Egg Priority uh, because I yeah. feel like this is the most unique of the new shows out this mm. season at the very least. There are a lot of sequels this season, a lot of big hitting sequels that are re- um, can be talked about on their own as well. But Wonder Egg Priority in particular came out of nowhere as this anime original from Clover Works, the people that did Bunny Girl Senpai, uh, the Camp, the Fate Babylonia anime, and two other shows this season as well. It's nuts. And so we have all collectively watched I don't know. Have you guys caught up on it or? Um, I'm fully caught up. So is it five episodes out? It's so five far? episodes so far, right? And then Kyle. Yes, I've seen. I've seen all five. Yeah. Kyle, have you caught up? Because I know you said you were watching some of it. Right? I got up to episode three. Um, I'm okay with episode spoilers, three. honestly, because it doesn't. It, it seems pretty episodic so far. Um, right. I I yeah. ask that any stuff around I and Koito gets uh, glossed over, but all the other like the upcoming characters i'm cool like talking about them right i i don't think there's any real spoilers in episode four or five right. there's nothing it's just new people spoiler is there yeah right yeah yeah a, a new character comes into it but there's nothing that's like a big revelation that changes everything okay. so um yeah so yeah like little character details but we we will ignore right. that yeah. so here's what i want to get into first so when when i was describing the show to you two on the last episode i started off with like I'm going to sound like a madman trying to describe this show because it's just so out there. And so when you guys were going into the show to start it, I'm not sure if you guys looked up like a trailer or screenshots or anything of it, but with my description in mind of what I said in the previous episode, what kind of show were you expecting it to be? And how did it kind of compare to that expectation? Start with Harry on this. I, I th- I th- so, so I think... Um... All I knew about it is that it was pretty clever and pretty smart, but I had heard, not just from you, but from like the internet in general, that there is a bit of a barrier of entry because it is pretty confusing at first. Mm-hmm. And you have to kind of take an episode or two to really grasp what's going on and how it's working. Um, but by the end of the first episode, I felt like I, I had a bit of a, a grasp on like, this is sort of what the show's going for. It's blending this very kind of fantastical mm-hmm. weirdness, which anime does so well anyway with a sort of deeper, more sincere story about emotions, self-harm, bullying, um, abuse, uh, and, and more difficulties that people face. Um, and I, I got that straight away from episode one, really, like by the end of that. I tried to kind of somewhat forget your description from my mind because <laughs> I wanted to go in fairly, I think that's fairly fair, yeah. fresh and, and not like, mm-hmm. yeah, so, so I did kind of go in just with an open mind. Um but yeah, the only thing that kind of maybe a little bit mixed at first is that it does take a couple of episodes to really grasp what's going on. In terms of like when I and her friends are going to buy the eggs, it's like, oh, where is it? Like, like at first I didn't even realize if it was happening in reality mm-hmm. or in a dream. And then it kind yeah. of hit me a few episodes in. Oh, okay. So this is when we fall asleep. It's in a dream. And then I was wondering, oh, why are they all there together? Oh, it's because they've all fallen asleep at roughly the same time. Right. They're all in there together in this shared dream world. Um, so it's so little things like that start to kind of add together, but it takes a little while, I feel, to, to click into I place. think that right. is actually it's, uh, to its benefit, I, just because mm-hmm. I would mm. say that, honestly, like, it may sound like a negative, but the strength of Wonder Egg Priority is that it's honestly pretty straightforward and simple with the messages. 
It's bullying is yeah. bad. Not paying attention to bullying and abuse is bad. But it's the way that the show executes it is it places so much focus on a lot of small details, which I really appreciate. A lot of like the a lot just a lot of the physicality. It's a lot of, of show don't tell. It's a lot of showing, not telling. Um, and the characters are incredibly mm. expressive, uh, which is really, mm-hmm. really cool to yeah. see. And like that's true in the smaller moments as well as the bigger bombastic fight scenes. Absolutely. And so now to give uh, any listeners that this might be, they may either miss the first ep- last episode or this might be their first episode. Since I described what Wonder Egg Priority was last episode and sound like a madman, I'm going to turn this over to Kyle this time. <laughs> so now that you... You were the last to spoke, so you're the one to target it back. How how okay. would you describe the show? Describe it to someone that has no idea, have, hasn't heard of this, no idea what we're talking about. Wonder Egg Priority is <laughs> Madoka Magica for 2021, specifically. <laughs> it's a very m- contemporary show. Um, right. And so yeah. in terms of the the details of the plot, which aren't, you don't want to get too bogged down in because to Harry and in Kyle's point, it's kind of like you learn it as you're experiencing it, sort of. It's not yeah, supposed yeah, to be it doesn't, concrete so, thing, yeah, it, that, well, That's going to like my earlier point um, of yeah. like it kind of glossing over like the smaller details, um, like how Harry was describing, like you learn all of this stuff as you go. It is a story about a young girl trying to atone for what she feels like are her sins and wrongdoings and faults as a person. Uh, But not in like a self-sacrificial way. It's a very forward moving, optimistic kind of self-growth that still deals with having to confront trauma. Absolutely. And I think that's something Mm. that comes through in the show's presentation as well. It's such a bright show. It's a very extremely bright show. It's very colorful. There's like incredible animation, like from mm-hmm. the way that the fights come out and the way that the weapons the an- are designed. The animation is gorgeous. Yeah. Like it's so, so good. And then beneath that though, are these monster designs, the these manifestations of trauma from the source of these traumas that caused these girls to kill themselves, essentially. And they are simultaneously whimsical and terrifying at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like the strength of the show and the strength of those monster designs specifically is that it kind of gives you this feeling of if you were this girl and you were being sub- sub- subjected to abuse by the hands of this abuser in, in this shape or form, this is how they would look to that girl. This is the way they look while mm-hmm. they're suffering in that way. And you really feel that deep in your gut. At the same time, though, it's not mm-hmm. this overpowering sense feeling of depression that is just like kind of pulling you down the whole time. There's this sense of levity and hope pushing uh, the the girls through the, these situations. I think is extremely well done. It's a very tough balancing act to balance those two aspects of, a, of emotion together. I'm not sure if you guys felt the same way while watching these show these episodes. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I, I think it's something that I, I love when anime gets it right, when it can balance very kind of juxtaposing elements together mm-hmm. and make them work and it's so easy to get it wrong right. and, and i think it's, it's actually one of my biggest turnoffs when i start watching a show and i can't really grasp what tone is this going for it's a real right. turnoff for me if, if i start watching an anime and i just think from the first episode 
is it going for a serious fight? Wonder Egg priority is very... Is it trying to be realistic? Is it trying to be about this or that? Whereas I actually really got a sense with Wonder Egg priority. I I get it. I get what it's going for and I get what it's trying to do. So immediately from episode one, I was on board. Mm -hmm. It's very well paced. It's a very well paced show. Mm. Right. For sure. I want want to... To to the point of that pacing, so far we've had five episodes out at the time of this recording. And so far, uh, the first four episodes kind of focused on one of the four main girls in the, in this in this uh, quartet, you could call it. And it's it's interesting because they've gotten various levels of attention, sort of. And so, Kyle, you've recently watched the third episode where it dealt with Rika, who is this kind mm-hmm. of ex-idol, but uh, very abrasive and putting this outward persona to push people away to protect herself inside. Uh, and we got a lot of her backstory, a lot, a lot of her backstory and her motivation for doing what she's doing and why, like, it's even apparently objectively more powerful than I's motivation for what she's doing. Mm-hmm. However, in the fourth episode, you're introduced to the fourth character in this uh, this quartet. And it's very, very, very clear from the outset that this character is going through some sort of gender dysphoria. Like they, really? They are... Yeah, it's Interesting. from the way they huh. talk and present themselves. However, we don't get into any of the details of that. They never specifically say, I feel, well, they kind of do, but not in such a way that they're kind of addressing the viewer. Okay. It's all kind of passive. And it comes in this way that you can tell that the the story writer, the director of the show, respects the audience intelligence to know it's like, we get that this character is going through this thing. We don't need to specifically say it is. Mm. And instead we can use that time to kind of give you hints about maybe like the specifics of what making, what has brought her to this point. And that stands in stark contrast to Rika's story. Uh, and so I, I definitely feel like there's this, this mastery, oops, sorry, I just bumped the mic there. This mastery in knowing exactly how much to tell the audience, how, when, when do we need to give them something to grab onto? And mm-hmm. when can we let the audience do the thinking for themselves? And I think that's something that anime far too often just uh, don't do. <laughs> they have a lot of really nice, mm. slow character moments. Um, like there is that scene in, I think it's episode one, where I uh, meets that first girl she cracks out of the egg and they're just like chilling in the cafeteria and they have like mm-hmm. a two minute conversation and you get to like, know more about I as well as the girl she's talking to. And then that gets like, before it drags on too long, they get attacked. Right. And then Mm -hmm. like, even the decision that I makes in that moment to like not run after her and help like that is just more, it's just more fleshing out of the character and it puts them in these situations where you can see so many different facets of their personalities and their psyches. Like another example was when uh, Rika is staying over at I's house. uh, And like, there's that scene in the bathroom and you see that she's got cuts on her arms in the bathtub Mm -hmm. and that there is a knife. And all she says is like, Nope, not going to cut. That's it. And that's yep. it. It doesn't like drag on it. It's just a very light thing, yep. but because and it's such a heavy alone, you thing, know exactly what she did. But, yeah. Yeah, there's these little character moments where the show just expects you yep, to put things yep, together. And yep. I, I do like that. What I really like about the show as well is that, like, the reason why all this works is because actually at its core, it's very simple yeah, to yeah, understand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why it works. I think it's very easy to have a narrative that's very, very complicated and confusing. 
And it also doesn't really explain itself. And the end result can be frustration, not one of intrigue or like, oh, I wonder what's going on. It can just be like, for fuck's sake, what is going on? Tell me. And Wonder Egg Priority is not like that at all. Like, even though at first you might be watching the first episode, like thinking, oh, what's exactly happening? By the end of episode one, you will have a pretty firm grasp on what's going on. There might just be a few little lingering questions, but you know that those little questions are going to get answered over the coming episodes, and they do. So before long, a few episodes in, you realise this is actually very mm-hmm. simple to understand. It's very clear what's going on. And these little character moments are also very simple and easy to understand. So you can immediately get on board with the characters, with the premise, and with everything happening. And as such, you can really And I think because it. of that, because it's so simple, because it's such a straightforward... It's a little bit of a complicated premise, but it's a very straightforward story uh, because of how simple it is and the way it presents itself. You can just take in the gorgeous animation and the way that everything is framed. There is a, a very deliberate effort into how, like what they show you on screen, Absolutely. which I really appreciate. Absolutely. Mm. I, I think uh, to that what aids in that too goes back to both what you, Harry and Kyle are saying about their motivations to how you get their motivations of these girls, like whether it's, it's never explicitly explained Mm -hmm. to you, but you understand why they put themselves in this danger to do what they do. It's not up for, it's not a question at all. It's like, even, even back in Madoka, going back to that comparison, uh, there were characters that we didn't really understand their motivations for. Mommy, we know nothing about her. Yeah. uh, yeah. uh, Sayaka, we eventually got, and Kyoko, uh, Kyoko is like, yeah, Kyoko a little. Okay, yeah, we, we got we got the motivations for characters like down the line, but for the longest time it was like kind of this sort of that was part of the mystery yeah, of the it, whole it, show. It, it and was that works a mystery to the show. Um yeah. and that, that worked to a show. Upfront. Right. And I think what's really neat about Wonder Egg as well, and that you'll see as you watch more, Kyle, is how these these motivations evolve. Mm. Uh so right now with three episodes, tell me tell me what I's motivation is, Kyle. Uh Aya's motivation is, I think her explicit motivation is to save Koito, right? And to protect mm-hmm. all of these other girls that are coming out of the eggs. I think her implicit motivation is to learn more about herself and, like, be a better person. I think she recognizes that sh- there are, like, parts of her that she doesn't like. And she honestly, like, that, that was, like part of her first conversation with Nehru where she was like, I, I forget what the context was for it, but Nehru just said a line where it's like, Nope, I love myself. Um, I, I don't know whether or right. not that's true, but it was in very stark contrast to I, who's like for most of episode one was like wallowing in self pity. Right, exactly. And I think what makes this interesting is in episode five, essentially, uh, so in episode five, it's the first episode we get the full court to quartet together. And, First thing I want to say is the the immediate character dynamic these four girls have together is phenomenal. It's incredible Mm. just how comfortable around Mm. each other they are right off the bat because they've shown their vulnerabilities to each other. What's incredible about this is there's like a scene where they're just out bowling together and they (laughs) openly talk about their traumas and their vulnerabilities with each other without things getting awkward. Like there is a part where one of the girls literally addresses I and says, oh, is this the girl that killed herself? And she's like, yeah, and that's it. And they move on. and Or they talk more about it, but it doesn't get awkward because they all understand each other's pain 
and they come from a very similar place. And so they're comfortable with each other, sharing that in such a way uh, and uh, benefiting from that. That so is for, that that dynamic is that incredible. is really cool to hear, and that is exactly why I will stand by what I said. In that this feels like a very contemporary show. I am right. all for normalizing talking about mental health. Right. Mm. So so there's that, and then later on in the episode, again when they're all together, uh, Rika essentially confronts I, and she says like. What? Why are you doing this? Okay, mm. you told me that's because you wanted a friend, right? Well, now you have friends. You have us. So why are you continuing to put yourself at risk? Oh like my this? god, this show is gonna yeah. fucking mess me up. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to absolutely <laughs> destroy me by the end. And so that really forces I to take a look inside herself, like asking, like, why do I want to do this? Why do I? That's still great. Want to do this? I I think I think this is this is something else that's really really good. It's when. A narrative can cement very early on. This will be rewarding. Stick with mm, it. Yes. Mm, and that's I actually think a really good point to put it. Something like that happens. Yeah. Um, there are certain narratives that I don't feel like do that. Right. And one of them, we'll touch on this later, is 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, which I've been playing. And I feel like to, do, to tell a complex narrative is great, but you need to tell the viewer pretty quickly, this will be worth it in the end. If you give your time to this, it will be worth it. Some narratives deliver that and some don't. And I think when they don't, it's very frustrating because you do continuously ask, is it worth me investing my time in this if I don't know that it's going to pay off in the end? Unfortunately, with Wonder Egg Priority, it feels like it really will pay off and it really will be worth it. That's that's an excellent way to put it for sure. And it, it comes from yeah. those those little character moments too, those little moments of character growth, how there is not a single dead moment in this show. To Kyle's point, they are very, very, very... Uh, careful about what they're showing you at any given moment to give you as much information as possible. Like the, the way this show is directed and framed is the way mm. that like a four minute short anime is framed where they have this very limited amount of space and they cram as much as they can in that small time. They take that mentality and have expanded it to a full 13 episode series, which is really, really hard. And I think uh, to even illustrate that, it was in the... Fourth episode, I think, and I, I'm not sure if this will stand out to you, Harry, but there was a part where Akka and Uraka, the, the mannequins, made this really bizarre comment about the, the, the differences in suicides between boys and girls. Do you remember that? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know about you, but I was really confused by that comment. Uh, it was very, very strange and obviously very purposely sexist. And there wasn't a whole lot of context put in there. So I felt like that was one part where you could see like they were really trying to shave as much down to where you can gather it, but it wasn't quite there. And later on, I found when I was trying to find news articles for this podcast, I found that the director came on. It's like, I understand the confusion for this scene. Here's a little bit more context. We may have shaved a little bit too much off on it. Uh, and yeah. I, I thought it's like, so again, there's just like that, that peaks, like you can see where, it's like when we write an article and we have a rough draft. It's like, okay, we have this 10,000 word draft. Let's shave this down to 5,000. <laughs> or that's that's an exaggeration. But it's this, you can see the, mm -hmm. the, the mm -hmm. due diligence that went into the process of crafting this show. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You can tell they're really, really trying as hard as they can. And I think fundamentally, again, it works because you can tell, like, it just shows how much you can do if your protagonist is likable. If your mm -hmm. core cast of characters are engaging from the get-go, it doesn't really matter how confusing your story is. As long as like your main character, maybe a couple of friends, 
of theirs are really likable and really engaging. It's just fun to watch then them. It's just fun to watch, yeah. And even if the story at times is a little bit confusing, it's all good because it's like, I like seeing these characters on screen. I actively enjoy seeing them. And I naturally care about the story because I care about these characters the story is attached to. I really um, thought that Nehru was going to be like kind of a Homer situation where they would like play this whole song and dance of her being cold and distant. But I really like how by episode two, she's already texting I. Yeah. Like yeah. as a friend. And it's like, oh, yeah, okay. They're very yeah, upfront the about that. That was really. Not really. Yeah, I guess it's, it's not really a spoiler for episode four and five, but yeah, they soon become friends. Mm -hmm. And like. Yeah. That can, yeah, they get over that hurdle pretty quick. Again, I like that because I feel that it's so formulaic to have that situation mm -hmm, where it's right. like, oh, they're not friends and there's, there's this distance between them. I really like that it's not like that. Um, I guess another, another comparison to the show this season is Skate, The Infinite, which I recently caught up on. And I really like that the two main characters, uh, Reki and, is it Langra? Langra. Langa. Langa. Yeah, like like you would assume that they like kind of butt heads and they don't get on particularly well because they seem like such different characters. But immediately from episode one, they're just really good friends and they got on really well and there's no animosity between them. And it really surprised me because I didn't expect that and I really, really liked it. I love it when anime kind of breaks its own conventions a little bit. Right. And almost like it goes for a more simple route, but in a way that feels refreshing. Just mm -hmm. like, oh, that's nice. I didn't expect it's, that. I wonder so if Priority definitely does yeah. that. It's so interesting because, yes, they are simple characters, but at the same time, I can't, they don't really fall into any given archetypes. None they of they fall super like, close I, at I times. Can't. There was a point yeah. where I was kind of wary about the direction they were going to take Ai's character. Uh, but mm -hmm. I really, really like that even with like the newfound motivation that she gets in episode one, she very, very, very quickly learns that it isn't just enough to want to do better. Like, mm -hmm. there is way more to being a better person than just motivation. Right, absolutely. Which kind of, That's, like, is all you need in a lot of other shows. It's like, oh, I'm going to be the best, or I'm going to be better. It's like, no, there's a mm -hmm. lot more nuance to improving as a person. Yeah, and and the show and the other girls will constantly challenge each other. On yeah, that and that's like, what's really this, nice the to best see. We can be it's doing. it's a it's a challenge that's not confrontational. I think I wanted to uh, end this discussion on damn that OP. <laughs> Just <laughs> that the, OP okay, yeah, really okay, no, we, we can linger on this for a bit. The entire soundtrack is yeah. great. Like episode three had this oh, yeah. like like folk western music as they were running up the lighthouse and then as like i just like start sprinting and you see it turn in this into this fucking yuasa like five second stretch mm -hmm. where she's like leaping up the stairs it's just phenomenal yeah, yeah it's, I, it's, I love the, the I soundtrack is like is this it, weird glitch synth almost kind it's of. great yeah. i think it's i think it's in episode four where um because it's all about like this idol group or something and uh they start playing like this idol song a sort of j-pop mm -hmm. song whilst I is fighting the antagonist. And it's just one of those moments that's so fun and so silly and, and just, yeah, the usage of music has mm. been great so far. I've really enjoyed yeah. it. It's it's definitely, there have been parts where a song has started up and I haven't also, I also haven't noticed any repeats in the songs playing yeah, the soundtrack yeah. at all either. But it, it, there's a lot of those moments where a song will start up during a scene. And it's like, wow, this is, this is like, an interesting choice. And then the scene goes on. It's just like, what, this This goes so well together. How? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. it, it, it mismatches, but matches at the same time. It's incredible. They, they go for the feeling. They know how to strike that feeling. Right. I, I definitely can't wait for the, the OST for this to come out. 
and just the OP as well, just how it starts at this really soft, like whisper almost, like this hum, and then just kind of gradually builds up into this crescendo of of just emotion. It's it's really interesting and not really something I've seen in OP before. Mm. I really like it. And I probably I played it as the opening music for this podcast episode. <laughs> nice. Also, one last note yes. for Wonder Egg. Uh, mm-hmm. Eye's little bed enclosure is very comfy looking. I want it. I, 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 I do, want I do so really bad. like that bunk bed little tent she's got going on. It's yeah. really comfy looking. Yeah, I, I want yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, I want that so badly. This leads us into the one news topic that I pulled for this episode. There isn't a whole lot else that was worth uh, spending too much time on. But uh, essentially, the Japanese con- government is considering codifying copyright rules involving cosplay income. Oh, <laughs> Which okay. means that official cosplayers in the future could uh, potentially uh, receive copyright strikes for their oh. costumes if they are... Uh, oh, that's what that means. Yes. Oh, never mind. <laughs> so Kyle, what, what, what was your first getting money? Yeah, what was your first thought on this? My first thought was, oh, that's cool. They're going to protect like cosplayers, but they're doing the no. opposite. <laughs> right. So with that new um, mindset, what do you think about this? <laughs> uh, bad. That sounds like a bunch <laughs> of old politicians making decisions that are like going through without the consent of the people that it affects or the so knowledge. You say or that, discussion. but. but do you know Shinzo Abe actually loves cosplaying and he goes to all the conventions? <laughs> he's, Shinzo, Shinzo just, Abe is not, yeah, he's not I even just, the prime minister anymore. I thought there was a setup <laughs> oh, for a joke not? there. Shit. That was the joke. Oh, well. <laughs> that backfired. I thought he was still <laughs> prime minister. Okay. Is he not? I don't know. I just hear no, the memes not. about him. No, yeah, he was, he was, maybe I make, I'm, I'm pretty sure he resigned, he resigned? not too long ago, Whoa, but okay. I could be, oh. I could be wrong. I'll, I'll, okay. My, my, my terrible the, joke is, is out of date potentially. <laughs> yeah. I could get fact checked later on, but uh, to what you were saying, Kyle, about not checking with the people in. So here's the interesting thing is that uh, the government, it says this report, the government is currently investigating the issue and seeking opinions from both copyright holders and cosplayers such as Inako, which Inako is supposedly the number one cosplayer in Japan who owns like the most income from everything. And so mm-hmm. would be arguably the most affected by this. Right. Uh, but there is no proposed legislation as of yet. It's just been. Uh, okay. So set, it might just like, be an ongoing business. thing, like with net neutrality in the U S. Right. And so it says currently cosplayers can earn income from cosplaying through such methods as subscription or membership services, compensation for appearances at events, such as conventions or selling costumes. The question of whether cosplay violates copyright laws by infringing on reproduction or adaptation rights has been in discussion by with many within and it's outside cosplay It's a transformative piece of work. Fuck off, copyright. Right. Fuck and so off. that's what I want to say. And then Fuck off. I always forget that like copyright is so much stricter in Japan. Is it <laughs> like, actually? We went through that. Well, we went through that whole revelation about Hololive, remember? About like what they can and oh, can't Jesus, stream. Oh, Jesus, that's right. Because yeah, the, because the, they need to literally the laws ask so much permission. Yeah. Oh and so God. that's the case for basically any transformative work in Japan artists as well that sell that's works at like conventions and things like that. They need to have copyright permission for that. And so with that in mind, that's crazy like, because like the I, I, scene I, is like so huge there. Yeah. I fully agree. Like, like this is all transformative works under like American laws and other laws as well. That shouldn't be affected. I feel like that, that creative process should be let loose. But if you're, if you are a Japanese person, you're like a Japanese artist or you're a, a doujin game creator or something like that. And you are going through all these loops to be able to sell your work and make a living off your work. And you see 
cosplayers who are kind of like in a similar vein of like providing providing a good based off of another good, but aren't jumping through those same hoops. The question of fairness comes up mm-hmm. in that. Like what makes cosplay different from regular artists where they get away with that? Or I shouldn't so, so, say get away with that, but this is a, this bound is, it's that. a really weird one because like um I, I guess it depends. So, so okay, so let's say you're a manga author and you're writing your series and somebody is cosplaying a character from that series and they're even earning money for it. That isn't necessarily stealing any income away from your business. In fact, it's like bringing attention to it. It's free fucking marketing. Exactly, right. exactly. Right. So, so like, this is kind of a thing. Whilst it might be a bit strange to think, oh, they're kind of making money by wearing an outfit that I sort of designed in my series. The other side is they're not actually taking any money away from me. They are not in any way taking my customers away from me or my audience away. If anything, they're actually giving me free promotion. Right. So what I'd be intrigued to know is like, how do manga authors feel about this? Or how do video game companies feel about this? Like, I hope they come out and support because video game companies... Cosplaying is an entirely different world that is not treading on the toes of these companies. Yeah, and like, they employ cosplayers like all the time. Mm. And I want to also reiterate, like, I... I think copyright is so important. I'm like mm. really, really big into into dance music and electronic music. And um, I absolutely despise it when you see that like um, someone can like release a, a drum and bass song, let's say, and a YouTube promotional channel, I'll say like quote unquote promotional channel, can take that song and just kind of re-upload it without crediting the artist just to try and get like hits for their channel. Mm-hmm. Or, or even like in worst cases, somebody can just take a piece of someone else's music like and just re-upload it and say, this is a song I made. And they just didn't even make it. You're telling me that I couldn't take the album that you just published and put it on my YouTube channel and said I made it? You're telling me I I probably shouldn't have done that? That's the thing, honestly, like, so so this is the thing, I'm like getting ready to release my first EP and like some people could hypothetically, you could just take it and just fucking download it and say, I made it and you just put it out. Mm. And obviously like it's, it's copyright protected, fortunately, I'm releasing it properly, but it's like someone could do that. And in those cases, people who do that can fucking die. Because, like, that's just so disrespectful and so awful to steal something that someone's worked hard on. It'd be the same if someone took one of our articles. If one of us wrote, like, one of our articles for Goomba Stomp, we really worked hard on it, and then someone else just, like, took it and re-uploaded it on their shitty site. I'm pretty sure that happened like, a couple times with some articles yeah, that went up on Goomba Stomp. Yeah. Like, we yeah. saw it, like, plagiarized, like, word for word on another yep. site. And so stuff like that, like, is horrible. I, I absolutely despise stuff like that because that is just blatant theft of somebody's work and trying to pass it off as your own. Um, and that would be the equivalent of, of taking somebody's manga series from like an unknown manga author and saying, hey, I wrote this manga series. Look at it. And it's like, you didn't make it. They made it. So yeah, I, I really do think copyright is important for protecting mm-hmm. people's works. The difference here is that this isn't really protecting anyone's works. This is sort of just restricting people yeah. who are operating in their own sphere, providing their own original content, just, you know, wearing outfits from particular series. And also cosplayers, from what I can gather, they do reference the series and the creators of said series when they're doing yeah. this stuff. Like, if they're, if they're cosplaying as a certain character, they say, this is the character I'm cosplaying as from this show or this manga. And, and then, like, it's immediately linked back to that original creator. Um, so, yeah, pretty weird. I think uh, another interesting thing here is that it's all it's already kind of iffy in Japan. So that Enako cosplayer I mentioned before, whenever she makes like an appearance on TV or does some sort of interview like that and she wears a costume, it's always an original character costume. 
Like even mm-hmm. right now, she doesn't really even try to risk that by making those kinds of appearances in a uh, a an actual character's costume, which is interesting when there's not even a law for it yet. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I it, I think it really is unfortunate that Japan is so strict on all of this. But I I think putting myself in the shoes of the people, the artists that have kind of like accepted this situation. I don't, I don't know if they have accepted it, but I, I can definitely see why they would look at cosplayers and just ask themselves, like, why do they get the free pass? Um, I think it's also it's, it's kind of the same an thing. interesting dilemma just because cosplay, at least on the scale that it is now, is a very recent phenomenon. Same with streaming, really. And streaming is like... Right still not worked out all the copyright stuff like there is a new copyright related issue like every other week in the streaming world Mm -hmm. absolutely Mm. so another specific term is that the diet members are carefully investigating a way forward for japanese copyright law and the quote-unquote age of user-generated content they believe it is possible to maintain a quote-unquote ecosystem that benefits both copyright holders and cosplayers fairly I guess it's just difficult because it's like, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Like, what if it was like, um, what if it was, yeah. what if one day we were told we can't do this podcast because we're talking right. about other anime series and video games, but we don't. Own I the think copyright I think off. the line should be drawn. I think it should constantly be reevaluated as well. Like laws yes, should absolutely. never be set in stone, or they should all, always have the option for amendments. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it, things, like, yeah, things change with time. Yeah. And the reason like this is even being considered is because things changed. So like things being enacted uh, shouldn't be the only case of that. It should be things that exist as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Yeah. uh, see if anything comes of this. Like I said, there's nothing that's been proposed yet or pushed through. It's just like in the in the uh, conversation stages of it. If they tried to pull that here in the US, people would freak the fuck out. (laughs) Oh yeah, like that's full on transformative work right there. I'm still, I was still so shocked when we learned about the strict streaming laws in Japan and what Hololive has to Ugh, jump through yeah. to stream the games they do. It's crazy. In other news, uh, smaller that we won't spend too much time on, Crunchyroll has now surpassed 4 million subscribers. And Ooh. it hit the 3 million subscriber mark just back in July 2020. So within July is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Within half a year, they've gained a million more subscribers. Which is I am I am one of the subscribers. One of those four million is me. One thing I will say about Crunchyroll I, is that honestly, for the past couple of years, their marketing game has been surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. They are doing a lot of that. really really good collaborations. Like yeah, there's the Hololive stuff, but they also do like a bunch of video game um, related stuff. Uh, they've been partnering. I think there was like a partnership with like. PS4 or Xbox at some point where we were like, where the companies were offering like subscriptions or like a, like a premium membership for like a month. So they're getting like the name out there. Right, for sure. And it, they're doing that in tandem with just anime becoming more and more yeah, popular yeah, yeah, exactly. as time goes on and more and more. I was kind of concerned just because there was the split in 2018, 2019 when a mm-hmm. bunch of big shows went over to Funimation. Um, right. And there's still that split, but I think Crunchyroll still has a strong enough library to support itself, which I'm, I'm happy to see. Yeah. yeah every season, they, I think Funimation 
on the large still has the more big hitters every season. But Crunchyroll, it's not like they just have one show a season. They they still have like two to three big hitters along with like they pull into like smaller indie titles mm -hmm. to support it. So it's not like it's not like High Dive where one season all they had was Omaidens in Your Savage Youth. And that show's great, but not enough to Are there any to, shows uh, that aren't getting picked up by either stream. of them that aren't uh, yeah, porn? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there, there are still other shows. Like, again, Maidens Near Savage Youth, that was High Dive exclusive. That wasn't on either of them. Um, there, there's mm. a handful of shows every season still that goes to High Dive, primarily. Um, yeah, beyond that, uh, Kadokawa Corporation has announced that it's forming an alliance with Cyber Agents and Sony. And keep in mind that Sony is uh, the owner of Funimation. So... <laughs> Uh, oh. Kadokawa is one of the major distributors of anime and also some games as well. So it, it feels like Sony is really just kind of like gearing up for mm. this really big anime push sometime in the near future, whenever we see what this, uh, this Crunchyroll Funimation get, looks like. Hold of everything. One thing I will say is that while it may look like partnerships are happening and potential collaborations are happening, one thing that I've learned on my end working with Xbox is that although these quote-unquote acquisitions happen, uh, there is a lot of bureaucracy that still gives these companies a lot of autonomy. Um, right. In this case, yeah. it's not even an acquisition. It's just an alliance. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, this so. could... I have no idea what this could mean. This could mean anything. It right, can, exactly. or it could also mean Which nothing. Which is why it's not getting its own segment. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick, hey, this is this is happening. They're moving. Maybe Keep they're setting mind. up. Maybe they're setting up for something. Yeah. I just, I just want to see what the Crunchyroll cross Funimation form looks like when, when did that acquisition happen i think that was in the, at the end of last year yeah it was pretty recent yeah, i'll tell you so. what i will say so, so i've been using funimation for the first time and like i know we've always said like the crunchyroll app is bare bones and the funimation app is a bit more fleshed out um the funimation app is glitchy as fuck oh yeah I found oh yeah, yeah on the ps4 you, you, especially it's terrible i use i use it on the ps4 like yeah. the amount of times i've started an episode it'll have like I don't know, like episode four subtitles, but it's playing episode three. Yes. Oh, that yes. Happened loads. Uh -oh. yes. Yeah, it literally, it happened to me a few times with Wonder Egg Priority. Um, also, sometimes like I'll go to like, I don't know, login or something. And whilst that happens, it starts playing an episode in the background, <laughs> like the audio of an episode. <laughs> like that will happen. Um, just really glitchy shit. So you, like, yeah, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Crunchyroll really isn't that bad. The app's pretty fucking good by comparison. Yeah, it works. The only uh, thing I say about where you get app, yeah, is that like maybe it stutters sometimes, but you just got to refresh. Yeah. But, I've never even had that. I like, like I, I think for me, it's just, I wish there was a few more options of Crunchyroll, yeah, like yeah, the ability yeah. to like add, add things to a list or star things, favorite things. Whatever. I really wish they uh, updated the way their website looks. It's still stuck in 2010. Oh yeah, the website is really needs an update. Harry, have you gotten the bug on the Funimation app where the subs are in Spanish? <laughs> no, and there's that, no sounds, option that sounds interesting. Yeah, so that's, this has happened to me to both for Skate and Cells at Work, where the subs are in Spanish oh. when it's set to English. And for Skate, I'm just like, whatever, the Japanese is simple enough that I don't Oh my need god, you just believe it on? Fucking, in Spanish? No, I, I just turned no, I turned oh, it off. I turned the subs off. But for sales at work, I absolutely need subs oh my God. for all those technical terms. And so, like, oh I just couldn't watch the episode until it was fixed, which took days. I I don't know what is up with their PS4 app because the website, uh, it, it works okay. It's just the PS4 app. It's weird. So, typically what happens, because my yeah. friend works for Comcast, 
um, what will happen is that these companies, like Funimation, probably contracted out to some other company that builds apps, streaming apps for people. Uh, mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, these companies can kind of just drop the ball and make a really shitty mm-hmm. app that like will take days to like figure out even what the problem is. Yeah. So it's like, how do you get the wrong? Like, I don't even have the option to choose Spanish subs. It's just either English or off. Uh, <laughs> Spanish subs like, on the screen. I don't, I don't know what it. to tell you about. Like, it, you know, it just, it, it's somebody's job and they're just not doing it well enough. Yep. They need to mm. step it up. All right. That's all the news we got for this episode. So we're going to jump <laughs> right back into our shit Simone. We're going, we're, we're returning back to our trip down memory lane. We, we took a hiatus from that because of the Crunchyroll Anime Awards happening and that is happening in less than a week from now. It's going to happen on the 19th, this coming Friday. Find out how wrong we were on our, excuse me, how wrong we were on our predictions. That'll be next episode. So this episode, we're going back to 2012, talking about the big shows that happened that year. What were the impactful ones? What ones that kind of stuck mm. with us? Um, going through the decade again. We've already got t- touched on 2010. We touched on 2011. We're touching on 2012. What was 2012? And so, so <laughs> the, the last episode we did the segment and I ended on, I said that 2012 was the year that the Fire Nation attacked. <laughs> oh. I left us on that cliffhanger. Oh, okay. And so we, we will get to that reason. But before we start on that, because I think that's going to dominate the discussion once we start talking about it, I want, I want to touch on a show, first of all, called Kids on the Slope. Have either of you heard or watched this show? No. I have not. What was it? So you haven't even heard of this? I haven't before. even heard of no. this. Yeah. Okay. So Kids on the Slope is a show that premiered in spring of 2012. It was a 12-episode show on Noi Tamina, the premiere TV slot. And it's a very unique show. And I won't spend too much time talking about it because I'm the only one who watched it. But I think it's still important to talk about it's a very unique show in that it is a post-World War II Japan setting. Okay. It is uh, 1966 where this, uh, this uh, high school boy transfers to a new school on this s- somewhere on an island off the coast of Japan. And uh, he is a very musically inclined person. He plays the piano. He's very kind of uptight and cordial. But uh, this, this new environment is very different to him. It's very loose and open and friendly. And so he gets involved with this, this delinquent named uh, Centauro. And Centauro is really big on jazz music. Like he plays the saxophone, he plays the drums and all that. And they kind of get together and they, uh, the main character that I forget the name of finds this love of jazz and they kind of start bonding over jazz together. He plays jazz on the piano and so on and so forth. And then there's a third girl involved that uh, runs a jazz bar and an instrument store. The reason this show is important is that Beyond the core trio, which is extremely strong, the dynamic that these three characters form is really, really interesting. Uh, the jazz music is very, very inspired. Uh, they go, be, they talk about the difference between, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not sure if this is racist anymore, but like white jazz and black jazz, the, the kinds of different sounds that entails. Um, mm. And the things that it touches on beyond that, though, are the socio-political issues that were happening in Japan at the time. Uh, this is the only show, the only anime that I've seen to date that takes a look at the Japanese Communist Party. They touch on that. They touch huh. on an event called the Zen Kyoto, which is a, a organization that was very anti-government in Japan. It was affiliated with the Japanese Communist Party. It was 
it consisted of mainly students and young teachers from universities rebelling against the um, huh. government. And this was a very big turning point for Japan that I had no idea about until I watched this show. And so there was a character yeah. that gets wrapped up in this and like he changes a lot because of it. Uh, this show also talks about Catholicism in Japan, which uh. if you really think about it, it's it, it's funny because you see so many nuns in anime, but they're never actually nuns. It's always just kind of like to fulfill this niche fetish yeah. Yeah, 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 sort yeah. of thing. <laughs> Um, so it's exceptionally rare to see Catholicism or Christianity actually examined for real in Japan because it's very, it's not popular in Japan. It's for as much as it's like, as much of its themes are used in anime, it really is not a large part of the religion there. It's still for the most part Shinto and Buddhist traditions. And so how Catholicism has kind of like gets its foothold in the Japanese society and like what it what it meant to Japanese people specifically as opposed to a white person or um, someone else was very enlightening. And so it was just a bunch of really interesting themes in this, uh, wrapped up in this jazz package that was just beautiful to listen and watch at the same time. And it made me feel a lot of different emotions and made me feel very conflicted at the ending in a good way because it was definitely one of those endings. And it, it, it ends, it ends. It is a 12 episode series that, begins and ends there's nothing that happens afterwards and you you're left with a lot of things to ponder at the end of it okay so i just it, looked this show up and this sounds mm -hmm. fucking amazing because it's in yeah. 1966 japan in nagasaki so it's 21 years after the atomic bombs dropped uh in addition kyushu is like part of the westernmost like island it is the westernmost island in japan um mm -hmm. in the japanese archipelago and that is primarily where Western missionaries came in from. So that would totally like set the context right. for why Catholicism is, you know, at least got a foothold there. Yeah, right. that, that sounds like super fucking up my alley just because like I'm yeah. really I, I've been getting super into Japanese history recently. So Yeah, I've been I've been wanting to rewatch the show for a long right, time. I'm, I am it's, adding it's, this. It's to an the easy list. rewatch too. Nice. Yeah. Right, it's it's a short twelve episode one. Actually, I think it might even be eleven episodes because it's no time. Nope, it's 12 episodes. Yeah, so that that's why I, I wanted to at least touch on oh, it because so cool. it is, to this day, a very, very unique show and I would argue an important anime to watch for anyone that Oh my god, it's a Shinichiro Watanabe show? Oh, what the fuck? Oh, what's 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 he done? Cowboy I'm Bebop and Samurai Champloo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Sounds well, to me like, Kyle, it sounds like you've got a new show. Yeah, so no, I'm like on. absolutely putting this like high priority. Yeah, I, I really want to rewatch it. I, I it was also I have fond memories for this too because I bonded with a lot of new classmates watching the show mm. because 2012 was uh, when I was just starting college. Oh yeah, yeah. Or it was my second semester of college, so I was still meeting a lot of people, and there were a few classmates I watched the show with, and we just fell in love with it, and we just were so in, into discussing and just salivating over every episode that came out. Uh, so I have it's it it means a lot to me in that regard too. Nice. All right. So with that, we will get to the Fire Nation. <laughs> and so what, what show is this? If I say the Fire Nation attacked when this, ha this show happened and everything changed. Oh. Everything in anime changed from this show onwards. What is the one show that did that? And you're going to kick yourself uh, if you don't guess this. Was it Hero Academia? Yeah, like, nope. Uh, no, way, way too soon. On. I think the manga had barely started at that point. 2012, what was it? Yeah, like, like obviously... 
Fire Nation is like ringing bells, but like I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm like, I'm not fully getting what it is. Uh, <laughs> I'm preparing to kick myself. <laughs> Kyle? Uh, yeah, let, let us kick ourselves. What is it? What is it? Starts with an S. Y- y- mm, all right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Harry, help me. I don't know. Uh, can, can I get a? Can I get another? First vowel? word is sword. Oh no! Sword art oh online. no! There you go. Okay. Sword art right. online is, is, is when the Fire a, Nation a, attacked. Is there a Fire Nation in Sword Art Online? No, th- no, th- it's that's the Avatar <laughs> reference. Harry, have you not oh, seen okay. yeah. the Last Airbender? No, you need no, to watch I that immediately. It. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So to to what that Anyways. means, Harry is the the Fire Nation attacked is the opening to Avatar. It's like everything was right. peaceful, and then the Fire Nation attacked, and then everything uh, changed. I, I've so got, yeah. okay. that, it, it means that this thing happened, and then nothing was the same afterwards. For better and nothing, or for worse, anime worse. wasn't the same. After, yeah, anime was not the same so after remember, Sword Art Online. I I watched like season one of Sword Art Online when I was a teenager, and I remember at the time really enjoying it. Um, but that's because I was a teenager. Yeah, As yeah. I, I, I reflect on it and I just realize Harry, oh, you, you are right there with like literally every other person that watched it as a teenager and then came back to it yeah. in their 20s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you reflect on it. I, I think there's also something kind of somewhat misogynistic. Not somewhat, it's, it's extremely time. misogynistic. <laughs> extremely misogynistic. I, I noticed the amount of times where female characters are put in situations of real peril, even relating to sexual violence. That's like a whole fucking art. It's all going to go wrong. And then suddenly the male protagonist rushes in and saves them. And it, it, it kind of yeah. puts across this really ugly sort of thing of like men save the women. And it's, it's, yeah. it's very much like this, this yeah. teenage boy fantasy bullshit. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah. it's it, by far my least favorite thing about <laughs> bad shonens. Is when it, it just feels like it's it's directly trying to pander to like fourteen year old white teenage boys and just playing on all of their kinks, all of their fetishes, all of their fucking toxic masculine bullshit, and it's validating that every step of the way. Um, so fuck Sword Art Online. I'm I so, think that show's still popular. So right, <laughs> it, it's still it's getting a new series oh, later on. Man. Sword Art Online Progressive. God. Uh, so. I am in full agreement that Sword Art Online is trash. However, however, we cannot deny <laughs> the impact it has had. On I, no, I we cannot. I, I absolutely I cannot want... deny the impact that it had. Yeah, so I, I, wanted, I want to dissect this a little bit. So uh, all, all those tropes and just like best hits of the shonen genre that turned in, make it toxic, but appeal to the teenager, po- poison teenager minds that were us back in the day. It's not like Sword Art Online is the first show to do that. It's not, uh, yeah. So, so why, what is it that Sword Art Online did that, it, it, it is an isekai. It's an isekai that kicked off the isekais in anime. So how come that one kicked off it more was, isekai my, after my it, theory, it was... My theory is that it was the first of that kind of show to reach popularity in the age of social media. Hmm. Yes, 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 yes. That is an astute observation for sure. I think, it's, yeah, pe- because before that message boards had been around, but yeah, now at this point, Twitter was really starting to gain mm-hmm. traction. I'm not sure if Instagram was around, was it? Sure. I do think in a weird way as well, it helps that the openings have always been consistently great. 
Because I, I remember like when Sword Art Online, when Series 1 was really big, just that first opening, dun, 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 yeah. like that, that piano That's the only start opening I remember, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, but like just exactly, just that opening was so iconic and so huge. Um, and it is a great opening. It is a great song. Um, but that's, I think that was a huge part of it as well, honestly. So I'm trying to think what was, it's impossible. I'd have to actually look into that. I'm, I'm <laughs> curious to see what the next Isekai after Sword or Online was. I have no, because it feels like uh, it went from zero to a hundred instantly after that. <laughs> Log Horizon's always been pretty big, hasn't it? Right. But I I'm think. not sure if that was the first one after Sword or Online. Gay, yeah. maybe? Uh, I think that was uh, no, Grim, not 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 gay Grimgar? because that was possibly Gringar, possibly Grimgar. Um, or at least specifically Isekai as portrayed as a JRPG fantasy world, because Isekai yeah, have definitely existed. Like, right, they have existed, but Sword Art Online is the one that kicked off this deluge. That just Isekai in general, of there being at least a, that consisting of at least a, a quarter of every anime season nowadays, mm. of in any form. Uh, because Isekai before Sword Online, yes, it existed, but it was very sparingly. And yeah. that's another question is like, dot hack, why didn't that take off when it's a lot dot of Dot hack is like incredibly complex and dense. Mm -hmm. Like, dot hack, you, you watch, watch that hack. and like, you need to pay attention. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that that answers that, and that it wasn't easily accessible. Yeah, it was easily accessible. So, yeah. It's like they you know do have some like you know good character design, um, or at least decent. Uh, it's like yeah, it it was the it was the right show at the right time to get as popular as it did. Right, I, I think Sword Art Online is is very accessible, like you're saying, and it just kind of thematically touches on everything that teenage boys stereotypically mm -hmm. like. Most notably, like video games and stuff. I mean, it's if you said to any teenage boy, like, oh, this is an anime all about a boy in a video game, and there are girls in it, and he's got to fight the monsters, and it's got music, and immediately it's just like, sign me up, I want to watch that. Says the stupid fucking moron teenage boy, <laughs> aka also me as a teenage boy. Yeah, um, all of us. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but um. But no, yeah, you revisit it in an, as an adult and you just realize, like, this isn't very good. It also makes me really appreciate uh, shows like Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, time for my uh, daily Jujutsu Kaisen appreciation. <laughs> uh, the female characters in that show are fucking awesome and not at all sexualized in any way. Uh, just really likable, really powerful, really good in combat and just totally great characters that aren't demeaned or lowered in any way due to them being women. And that's obviously really good. And and I want to see more of that. And it's a shame when you get a show like Sword Art Online, which does kind of continue to push that that harmful trope that like like men are supreme and women are kind of secondary. Uh, it's very sexist and just very The shitty. unfortunate reality is that money talks. Um, and you see that mm. in video games too. Like Call of Duty continues to rise in its player base, even though it is kind of a very uh, stagnant and destructive game, uh, just in terms of everything. It's very, there's a lot of issues I have with it, but it like, it continues to sell. And then you have like smaller stuff that just kind of like goes into the wayside. Um, that's like really well made, just has as much like money put into it, but it's like, it's, people it's don't where, want it. I've said it before. 
I would absolutely love to see a popular shonen, like a really big, accessible commercial shonen, but with a female protagonist of colour. I think that would be so, so good for representation and also just for booking that trend of like white teenage boy default. I think it'd be great to have an exception to that rule, um, especially if it became huge and that character became like an iconic character in shonen. I'm, I'm um, trying to... Th- I'm always holding out hope. Yeah. Um, it's... It'd be good. Fingers crossed one day it will yeah. happen. Sword I think uh, what's interesting about... What's interesting about Sword Art is that Sword Art arguably kicked off the trend in anime and then like it assisted in light novel and mangas as well. But it it wasn't actually the catalyst that kind of created this deluge in the light novel and manga space. Funnily enough, that 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 honor, dishonor, question mark, uh, (laughs) that goes to Mushoko Tensei, Jobless Reincarnation, which uh, that's actually one of the earliest isekai light novels to be published in uh, the decade, essentially. And that show, that series, is just now getting its anime adaptation this season, (laughs) in fact. But it was one of the earliest isekai to actually be an isekai in that it's a boy who gets transported or reincarnated in another world from as a baby. And it's not a game world. It is just a straight-up fantasy world. Mm. Um, That It's what isekai was kind of... The, the, the description on the tent of the box, what you would think of Isekai if you hear that, instead of everything being a game world at that point. And so that that's the series that actually kicked it off in the light novel and manga space. It's just interesting how Sword Art Online anime happened, and then suddenly animation studios were like, wait a minute. Hmm. This prints money. <laughs> there might be an audience here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I will say, uh, thanks to Sword Art Online, we got Konosuba. <laughs> So this is fair. You know, this is true. There's a silver lining to it. Yeah. I, I do wonder because I don't think anyone could have seen just how dominating Isekai would become in the anime sphere. Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's another subgenre that will surprise us in the future that we'd be like, what mm-hmm. the hell? Where did this come from? And you can't mm-hmm. imagine just it the environment not being saturated with anymore superhero high schools we we're, we're kind of we kind of saw that with the what was it god of high school that was like whatever um I'm, i, I don't uh, know. If, if if my hero academia didn't kick off that trend nothing's gonna kick off that trend. Uh, that's that's very fair we, will, very we fair. will we will see a commercial boom in hentai we're a ginormous it's commercial just, It's boom. just always in a commercial boom. We're kind of seeing <laughs> I feel it. Like it's the un, unprecedented. It's just on daytime TV. You, oh, you okay. on TV, 12 p.m. Oh, well, switch on. The, the default so, channel is just so, anti everywhere. <laughs> so you, you joke about that. Oh. You joke about is, that. Is there but a hentai there channel? Was, well, it's not a hentai channel, but uh, I, I closed the tab because I'm like, we're not going to talk about this on the podcast. But <laughs> here we are. Um, there was an announcement <laughs> for a show... That was like, the title was, I turned into a Kuro gal, so I got beeped by my best friend. Oh, God, that one. Getting, yeah, I saw that. Jeez. Yeah, and that's going to be on daytime broadcast on Japanese television. Oh, my God. Crunchyroll made Granted, a tweet it'll be about sen- it. It'll be censored. Uh, it'll be sen- Crunchyroll tweeted about it? Crunchyroll tweeted about it, then deleted it. <laughs> yeah, there are screenshots of that. I guess it was going to be oh. on Crunchyroll. But it's oh just straight up hentai, God. even when it's uh, censored. So yeah, you joke about that, God. Harry, but the time is now. We live in the future. 
God, 2021 is just getting weirder, isn't it? <laughs> it really is the sequel to 2020. Things just get stranger yeah. by the minute. Yeah, it's just, you mean 2020 part two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All righty. Moving away from uh, SAO and this godforsaken <laughs> land. Uh, the other big hitter of this year, though, was a Psychopass, oh. which aired in Ooh, yes. yes. Yeah, so I think we have things to say on this one, correct? I, I'm not sure if you guys watched that while it was airing or if you watched it after the fact. I watched it after. I watched it after. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so uh, what, what, do you remember what brought you to the show? Why, uh, why it came to your attention cool and why guns. you started watching it? <laughs> I saw a gif of the cool gun and it was cool. It, it was actually fairly early on when I was watching anime because um, when I started, I was buying loads of DVDs. I was, I was buying like a whole DVD collection before realizing this is uh, unsustainable financially. Um, <laughs> but I was still at the point where I was buying like DVD collections. So I, I have this like on DVDs, season one. Oh, wow. Um, nice. And yeah, I, I just, I, I, I can't remember why I started watching it. It might have de- genuinely been during the era of just like me looking up anime openings and thinking, that seems pretty cool. And then watching from that, um, probably, yeah, like I said, I saw, oh, it's a thriller, mystery, cyberpunk gun thing. Sounds good. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it's a really solid series. Um, obviously, like moving on from that, I think season two is much weaker. I've not seen the, the latest season. I know it's not done by the original author, mm-hmm. but uh, that first season of, of, of Psychopaths is really, really strong, I think. Right. It, it, it tackles a lot of interesting dystopian themes and issues that are topics that hadn't really yeah. been touched on in anime to that degree prior. It's just like, what like what defines peace in a society and at what cost? Like mm-hmm. what at what point yeah. is it no longer peace and what point is it just kind of stagnation? Uh, it, it raised a lot of interesting questions in that with the whole dominator. I also, I also feel like um, what I really like is, is that it is set in a kind of cyberpunk world, but it doesn't feel like it's wholly defined by its cyberpunk world. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it isn't just like this is cool because it's it cyberpunk. feels lived in. It's like, this yeah. is cool. And also it just happens to be cyberpunk. Yeah. But yeah. like the series ex- is external to that setting. Mm-hmm. I think something we're seeing now because of Cyberpunk 2077 is we're seeing like this kind of real fetishization of cyberpunk. And I'm thinking that's great and all, but like underneath that layer of cyberpunk, is it good? Is it actually a good series? Again, a, a comparative point to this uh, is Akadama Drive, which aired, was it this season or last season? Last season. Last season, right? Yeah. So, yeah. like, I, I watched all that recently, uh, and I did enjoy it. But at times, it it felt like if you strip away the cyberpunk exterior, it's not quite as strong as people think it might be. Mm. And it does kind of really get bolstered by its aesthetic, its cyberpunk aesthetic. But Psychopaths comparatively doesn't have to get bolstered by its cyberpunk aesthetic. It's just strong enough as it is. Well, they're right. they're and like intertwined with each other. Mm. Yeah, to support that point, I still distinctly remember a part where I forget the main character girl's name, but she's getting ready in the morning and just like all the little buzz, bells and whistles her apartment has, how she can like change the theme of her apartment and just yeah. how she kind of nonchalantly does that. Just the, to what Kyle was saying, it feels lived in and just like these characters go about it and they, it, that's their life and no attention is drawn to those aspects. And I think uh, oftentimes in cyberpunk settings, you get that a lot. It's like, I, you get an author's like, I'm really proud of thinking about this cool gadget, so I'm going to force your attention to it. It's like, don't you think this is cool? And it's like, okay, I get it. Like, it's, <laughs> But the characters in this world, that's just part of their life, so why would they take notice of that? Yeah. And that's something that uh, that Psychopaths did very well. Mm-hmm. It's just like, no, this is, this is just their life. This is what they've yeah. known ever since they were born. 
And, and also the Dominator, like with that being a kind of cyberpunk thing with the gun, it feels integral to the plot and it makes sense mm-hmm. in the plot. It doesn't just feel like it's tacked on to be cool. It's not just like, look at this right. cool laser gun because cyberpunk. It's like, no, this cool laser gun is essential to the story and it actually matters narratively. And here's why. So right, because you, I, I like that as well. You look at the Dominator and you like you look at a sketch of it or an image of it out of context. You're just like that's the most edgy looking gun I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like that's some that's that's a high schooler's dream gun right there. And then you watch the first episode and that perception is just kind of like blown clear away. Well, it's like, give, it like, so what I really appreciated you, about Psychopaths is that like they give the cool like like deadly cyberpunk shit like actual weight. So you very quickly realize, like, oh, this is a thing that can, like, really mess people up and, like, needs to be treated with, like, a lot of consideration, which it feels like in a lot of other series or media that ape cyberpunk aesthetic is just like, here, cool gun, go shoot people, then go slice them with your cyberpunk katana. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Psychopaths is like, it pays uh, attention to that. Psychopaths also has another one of my most memorable scenes in anime. Not as memorable as Clanad, but in the first season where the main girl is trying to rescue her friend and mm-hmm. she's going against an, an antagonist where the Dominator doesn't recognize him as a threat oh, yeah. because he is a, literally a psychopath. And so the antagonist throws her a shot, a traditional shotgun. It's like, if oh. you want to save her, then shoot me of your own free will. And she can't do it. Oh. And I thought mm-hmm. that was a really powerful moment that really spoke to just how ingrained the society is in her. And at the same time, when you're watching that, it's like, do it. You're saying, like, you're screaming in your head, do it, do it, do it. But when she does it, you understand why she didn't do it and why she couldn't mm. do it, why she was completely unable to do mm-hmm. it, mm-hmm. which is incredible writing, character writing. It's really good character writing. I, I think, like, a really interesting theme there is the idea of should the law define morality? Mm-hmm. Because instinctively, we all want to answer yes, and we all say, yes, the law should define morality. But actually, when you look through history... And you look at the fact that once upon a time, slavery was legal. Once mm-hmm. upon a time, um, it was illegal to be gay. Um, and there's been all sorts of, of horrible injustices because of the law throughout history. And that's when you start to think, hmm, just because something's legal now or something might be illegal now, does that mean it's, it's objectively correct from a moral standpoint? Going back to our copyright right. discussion, laws should be yeah. very <laughs> malleable and change with the times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Think for yourself. Shoot it. Right, just uh, Shoot to touch on a few other shows. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, just to touch on a few other shows that happened this this year as well. There was a Magi that started this that year, which kind of like I don't know. It was big for a while, and it just fell off a cliff at some point. I don't really hear much about it. It still gets what new shows show? occasionally. Magi, the the labyrinth. It's it's about uh. Or, oh It's yeah. based on the Arabian Nights. I uh, oh, was, that I watched thing. the first yeah I remember seeing I, that. I heard about it so, so I think there was an article online about like the best shonen anime ever made uh, and I, I I read through it and, and it had like all the typical stuff Naruto One Piece like mm-hmm. the big names but it just had Magi out of nowhere like that was mentioned I was thinking why is that regarded as like one of the best um and it's, I watched it's fun. I watched the first few episodes and I just wasn't really feeling it I just didn't feel like it was anything particularly special. Um, right, but I don't know. Maybe I need to stick with it. But the setting and the characters just didn't really rope me in. It just felt a bit underwhelming. Yeah, I mean, if the setting doesn't rope you in, I think it it won't down the line because that's that's the main strength of the show. It's 
a pretty bog standard shonen. It's just that I, it? when I was watching, like the, the, the setting's neat. It's different from what I'm used to seeing. And, yeah. and, but it doesn't really do anything with the setting. And so I didn't watch more it's of just that. window dropping. That's what I found from the, first, from the first few episodes. I just felt like it's not really doing anything particularly mm. interesting or special. It's just like there's these characters kind of in this setting. And, and there yeah. weren't really any, even if, if you look at the kind of the bog standard shonen stuff of like big battles and superpowers, there wasn't really any of that either. So, so there wasn't really anything to latch on to. Like that was. Well, then what were you watching it for? Um. Uh. Sorry, what was that? Then, well, then what would you watch it for? I guess. Well, um, that's it. Yeah, because then I could yeah. say, well, I'm going to watch it for the characters and the interactions between them. But the characters are pretty underwhelming and mediocre. <laughs> oh. And it's it's like I don't know. I'm not really going to watch a show just for its setting. And even then, like Matt said, they don't really do much with the setting. Mm, so. Right. But so I also, I, was, I, want to, I want to acknowledge, I only watched three episodes. So like, I might be completely premature with my judgment there. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, it made a splash when it came out. It was popular for a while um, for any given reasons. But it had a few more seasons. It just kind of petered out after a while. I don't really hear people talk about it anymore. Mm. Uh, also, uh, Girls and Ponzo oh. aired that year, which was a show that had no right being as good as it was. Uh, it is a Moe Blob show with tanks and realistic tank physics at that, apparently. Like you have yeah. tank, yeah, you have military and tank nuts watching the show and praising how everything the tanks do in that show are can be done in real life, save for one thing, one particular scene. But they kind of like are like, I, I get did why this, they did that. Did this come out and, before Azerlane and Conkle? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it did. What? Um, at the very least, it definitely came out before Azure Lane. I think it came I'm out. I'm just trying to think. I guess, well, this sure. would have definitely come after Strike Witches, but I'm trying to rem- yeah. like place it in terms of like the the military animu side of things, which there is a very large number of. Yeah, it came. It came after Sora No Oto. Oh, okay. that. I I actually started but, uh, yeah, watching it, it. You did. Yeah, it's a. Um, but yeah, Girls and Ponzer was a. It's 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 very fun. I wasn't expecting to enjoy it as much as I I did. It 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 felt like there were stakes and you never quite knew how things were going to turn out. Still need to watch the movie someday. Uh, another came out that year. The uh, the thriller that was kind of like there's an extra student in our classroom that's not supposed to be here, and until we figure out who it is, people are going to die every day. And it it made a splash just because I shouldn't say just because, but it. There wasn't a whole lot of anime like it at the time, and the kind of like grisly thriller what aesthetic of just high schoolers getting killed. Another, I've, I'm, a, I'm oh. aware of another. I feel like from what I know, it's one of those shows where it's just it's kind of like Saw in that like it's just about the deaths, and and like beyond that and the creativity of the deaths, there's not much substance there. Right. Hmm. Yeah. It it really you really worry watching. For the creativity of the deaths, as you as you said, Harry, it's not like it's not like Higurashi where a character would die and something would happen. You're like, okay, but I need to know more. I'm like, like, something's pushing it, me It's not placed in the this. context of plot or like- I, I mean, it, well, it is, but you don't really particularly care about uh, yeah, it much okay. because it doesn't, like, unlike Higurashi, it doesn't give you kind of breadcrumbs to latch onto on the greater plot. And then just kind of at the very end, it comes all at once. Oh, you're just uh, going- But no, yeah, okay, it, okay. It, okay. it did make a splash just because it was very meme worthy. <laughs> Lots of memes came out of this Oof. show. Uh, Black Rock Shooter also aired that All I know year, about that show which is the was character. a thing. Because like, yeah. the character design is really uh, popular. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's the it's Kiara's character designer. Oh, Huke? Huke, uh, yeah. He's the Black Rock Shooter character designer. That's Have right, you heard of Black right. Rock Shooter, Harry? No, I've not. 
So Black Rock Shooter was a Vocaloid song. It was a Hatsune Miku song originally. It was a Miku and song? It, eventually, it was a Miku. It still it, it is a Miku oh, song, God. I should say. And then it got a music video that... Uh, the, the 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 song makes no sense, by the way. It came out in Supercell's album that was all love songs. And then there was this random ass song that had fuck all to do with love. <laughs> it was really <laughs> weird. But the, a music video was made for it with uh, designs by Huke before he was super well known for things like Steins Gate. And it was a hit. And it just continued to spawn like fan art left and right until eventually it got this full on uh, anime series. And as one would expect... For an anime series that was expanded from a four-minute-long song, <laughs> it was a mess. <laughs> but it was the kind of mess that everyone wanted and uh, that, like, no one expected it to be great. It was just kind of like, it was a loving mess. And so it, it came and went, and it was exactly what people wanted that were All looking right. forward to it. That, that's, I, I can respect that. It's similar to uh, Meikaku City Actors that came out a few years ago as well. That was done by Shaft. That was based on a Vocaloid album. So at least it wasn't a single song. It was multiple songs, but a similar story in that, like, uh, he could only make such so much of a cohesive plot out of a music album. Mm. Mm. So yeah, that it didn't that, sound like a great idea. <laughs> right. It was cool, though. I mean, the animation was unique. It was done by Shaft, uh, uh, which enough said there. So, yeah, that, that pretty much wraps up all the major shows of 2012, I would say. So, yeah. After kind of that, a slow year for 2012. the same. It sounds like that, but in the moment, SAO was huge. Well, yeah, yeah. SAO because SAO took bad. half the year, remember? Yeah, it was around for half the year. Mm -hmm. And then it was coming out at the same time as Psychopath. So I, I think it definitely didn't feel slow at the time. Mm. All righty. So with that in mind, normally we would talk about what we've been watching or playing at the beginning of the podcast, but I've shifted it towards the end here, towards our shout out section. Yeah. And so this yeah. is going to double as our shout outs and our concluding segment. So Harry, we'll just start off with you. What would you like to shout out? So well, I've been watching quite a lot recently. Shall I go through everything I've been watching and playing and uh, give my thoughts on it all? And we can all kind of talk about it because I think it's all stuff we've all sort of experienced. Right. It'll probably be a little highlights because we are, okay. we are getting close. Yeah. Shall, shall I start with negatives first? Let's, let's stick with the pot. It's stuff that we want to shout okay. out. Bring attention okay. to. Okay. Ah, positive. Shout okay, so, out. So in, yeah. in terms of uh, two things I've really enjoyed, Wonder Egg Priority and Skate the Infinite. Um, obviously, Wonder Egg Priority we were talking about earlier. Skate the Infinite. Matt, you mentioned it to me. And uh, it's great fun. It's on Funimation. Uh, it's it's about skateboarding, unsurprisingly. And whilst <laughs> it's, it's not at all realistic, it's not a realistic depiction of skateboarding, um, it's very much like kind of sort of fantastical battles downhill throughout this race. Uh, mm. It's still a really, really fun show and it still feels respectful to skateboarding. At yeah. no point does it sort of, um, I don't know, even though it's not realistic, it doesn't feel like it's taking the piss at any point. It, it still feels right. respectful to the art form. And it's just a great show. Uh, I really, really enjoy the, the lead two characters and their friendship between one another. And I think because it's anchored to that so firmly, it's anchored to like these, these two really likable leads and their friendship that is so solid. I love them uh, it so just much. feels like ju just watching them on screen, just watching them chat about skateboarding or chat about life is fun. And it's also just really well paced and really, uh, really fast and, and fun. It's a good time. I'm enjoying that a lot. Yeah, I, I, I would say that Longa and Reki will be contenders for his best boy by the end yeah. of the year for sure. I, I really enjoyed the second episode where 
Reki's just trying to teach Longa how to do an ollie, which I still don't understand how people do ollies on skateboards, but yeah. <laughs> just kind of like the back and forth they had and the moment that Longa finally does it. And the like, sheer unadulterated joy both of them felt. It was just, yeah. I, it was nice. I loved that. Well, again, I, I love it. Like they're so different in terms of their demeanor and their personalities. Mm-hmm. And you would think that the typical thing would be like they're antagonistic towards each other and they kind of begrudgingly get along. But it's not mm-hmm. like that at all. Like they immediately really get on well and we've got a really great friendship and I really, really enjoyed that. It's by far my favorite thing about the show uh, mm-hmm. because I think we're used to that sort of Goku-Vegeta dynamic of, of everything, <laughs> like going with yeah. that kind of rivalry constantly. And it's great that there's none of that for either of them. Neither one of them is pretentious or rude or hot-headed. They both just love skateboarding and get on great. So I really enjoy that. Absolutely, I fully agree. And the the races are just like, <laughs> so yeah. much fun yeah the, the shit that they do the shit that they do it's like okay all right let that that's pretty crazy but it's also really cool yeah you, you can see bones firing on all cylinders for yeah sure. i'm really excited to see where it goes and what happens later because it's just such a fun show it's like one of those shows where like as soon as i caught up it's like oh shit i want to watch the next episode now and i can't and i've got to wait mm-hmm. um so yeah really, i think really that good. next episode will be out by the time we're done recording, I think it comes out on Saturday. I'm going gonna, gonna to get a shower, get into bed and watch it. And I've also got a new One Piece episode tonight, so I've got a good evening planned. Nice. An embarrassment of riches. All right, Sorry? Kyle. Oh, actually, actually, wait. Harry, uh, I want to give you the chance to shout out your album one more time as well. To- oh, okay. Uh, thank yeah. you. I'm releasing an EP, uh, not, well, what day is it today? It's, sat- it's Saturday. Okay, not this coming Friday, but the next Friday. So that is the 26th. February, I'm releasing it. Uh, my artist's name is Corison, so that's C-O-R-I-S-O-N. Uh, so you can look me up on SoundCloud, I think. So it's been weird. So, so you send it off to like a distribution company and you pay money and then they distribute it to like Spotify and iTunes and all these different services. But because mm-hmm. it's my first release, I don't have an artist page set up yet. So on release day, hopefully then my SoundCloud, I mean, not my, my Spotify even and my, my iTunes and all that will be set up. Uh, but for the time being, I'm just locked to SoundCloud. So, uh, yeah, give me a follow or follow me on Twitter at Corison Music. And uh, hopefully, yeah, you can you can catch my new EP. And if what, you does like. the EP have a name? Sorry? Does the EP have a name? I, I yeah, my, my Lost Woods EP is called. There you go. Um, after the title track. So yeah, little Zelda reference snuck in there. Um, <laughs> and fun fact, actually, at one point we were talking about doing an anime Ichiban theme. And I pitched a little kind of uh, mm-hmm. sort of 16-bit kind of chip toony theme to to you guys. And it was pretty cool, but it just didn't quite fit. That has now been developed into a full song. Oh, that's with, awesome. Uh, I didn't uh, realize it was based off that. I've, I've developed it into a full song with a filthy drop. So it should be, uh, it should be fun. <laughs> it's track three on the EP nice. called Fresh Zombie. So yeah, check it out. Corison, uh, Lost Woods EP, check out my SoundCloud. And that's where you can follow for updates and whatnot. Awesome. I'm really happy for you, man. Nice. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to put it out. All right, Kyle, what would you like to give a shout out? Uh, I would like to give a shout out. I've been enjoying 13 Sentinels. Um, and <laughs> Harry, I don't, I, I think, I, I get what you're talking about earlier, where it's like you don't know if it's uh, yeah. going to pay off, right? Yeah. I, it's, it's, I, I'll, I'll elaborate on that after you, yeah. How far have you gotten into the game? Like how many hours is your playtime roughly? So I think I'm, I'm at about 25 hours. You're at 25 hours? Okay, that's yeah. way more than me. Um, I'm at like 19, yeah. <laughs> 20. Well, not way more, but like we're, we're, we've got like around the same amount. Uh, have you been like so, spreading out 
like the story or do you go like hard in on one character? So I've, I'd say, I feel like with the characters, I've probably played about a third of the story. I feel like, cause there's a handful of characters I've not started yet, but oh. there's a few characters I've gotten up to like 80% or so. Okay. Um, a few characters have gotten to 60% and then a couple that are at like 20 to 30%. So I've, I, I've, I've put in quite a lot of time to the story. Gotcha. I've, I've probably done about 15 hours of the story, maybe 10 hours of the destruction mode, something like gotcha. that. And I think it's because I've put a lot of time in and I've yet to really care about any of it. Um, it's I, I get what it's going for with the narrative. I get what it's like with the kind of different time periods, different locations, lots of different characters. Mm-hmm. And it's going for a very kind of complex narrative. The thing is, is that it needs to earn that complexity and it needs to earn my investment into that complexity and I don't feel like it has. It's just demanded I invest. I'll kind of vaguely care about the character, but then it's like, eh, not massively. And then you'll get a revelation about the story, but it never feels satisfying. Mm. It never feels like, oh, wow, that's how they connect. It always just feels like, oh, I guess they kind of connect like that. I guess this character knows that character and they're from the future, I guess. And I guess they're a robot. I don't really know why. See, I, I guess I've really had like how... kind of the opposite experience where those revelations yeah. are like pushing me to learn more and want to learn more. And I feel like yeah. the 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 line for me where it went from me putting an investment to me feeling like that investment is being rewarded was like around the 15 hour mark. With 13 Sentinels, I still don't feel like I know enough to really enjoy what's going on. I've got all these kind of fragments of ideas and stuff, and I've got these kind of jumbled up bits of the jigsaw, but I still don't I really totally get know that. enough to, to, I totally to appreciate get what's happening. It's like, until I have a firmer grasp on what's happening, I don't really care. Furthermore, with the gameplay, so the destruction gameplay, which I do think is, I've, I've done quite a lot of that. So I've, I've played like, um, I think the first scenario and a half or something, like as much as I've unlocked on all three difficulties. Um, and I just find it really easy. I kind of just feel a bit underwhelmed. Again, I don't hate the game. I, I love the ambition. I, totally get, I love the idea. I totally get all of your issues. All of your issues mm. are positives for me. Yeah. Uh, I really like yeah, not knowing anything. I also just came off of like finishing Higurashi and this is like exactly up my alley for this kind of jumbled, yeah. deliberately yeah. jumbled narrative. Um, and what has been keeping me going or kept me going until like I really felt like I was super on board with the premise and the story was the presentation 13 sentinels for me is the perfect narrative story in terms of mechanics um it's a lot like disco elysium which i also just finished the other month uh in that i forget i'm playing a visual novel just because of the the way that they design interactivity into the narrative flow um, so for me, like with that, the presentation, the artwork is gorgeous. I really like the setting. I, yeah, I'm, I'm buying all of it. I, yeah. I, I am really I, I on do, board with I do. I do. I lo- I love the presentation and the artwork and the interface. I do love all of that. Absolutely. Uh, it's a great looking game and it plays great as well. Um, so I do absolutely enjoy that a tremendous amount. Um, I think what it is, is I've played plenty of anime games where the stories have just turned out to be hot garbage. And, and, and like, I've, I, that's pretty much nearly every anime game, to be honest. Like, I just find they, they're just so pretentious and so up their own asses. And I feel that some of, some of the best stories are ones that kind of step back and just focus on some great characters yeah. and just tell a simple story. 
um, and then slowly build a bit of that complexity over time. Um, don't get me wrong, 13 Sentinels might be really, really rewarding. It might really pay off fantastically. You just don't want to stick around for the it ride. Should, I, I, just, I just don't know if it will. Yeah. Okay. And whereas one direct priority, it, it can kind of confirm to you pretty early on, this is worth your investment. We will stick for landing. I just, I'm not getting back from 13 the Sentinels. Only, they the, reason, the only reason I am like putting this much time into 13 Sentinels is that I have way too many people singing its praises. Way too many people whose opinions yeah, really. I do take seriously and respect, like Matt's, yeah. along with a lot of other people that I follow. Um, yeah, like I, I'm gambling on it because for me it is a safe bet. But I don't hate it. I don't. But, I, don't really, I don't hate it. Like there's lots of good to it. Liar. Well, <laughs> I'm gonna shout out Thirteen Sentinels because I am really okay. enjoying it and I think it's going to pay off. <laughs> so this is my right. segment, Harry. Yeah. Okay. There we go. <laughs> All right, and I'm going to shout out Cells at Work Code Black because being a biologist that I am, I adored the first Cells at Work and just all the personifications of the bodily processes in it. And Code Black is a stressful show. It is the version of Cells at Work for an unhealthy body. So chain smoking, alcoholism, mm. sedentary lifestyle, all of that. And the way they portray the things that these cells are going through is extremely, extremely stressful. It could... It is basically a seinen show that could be right alongside the things of like Kimetsu no Yaiba if you just oh change some terms around. It, it is ruthless because of course cells, most a lot of cells are disposable, not all of them are, and they make it very clear which cells are not disposable. And it's that same, it's that same sense of dread in any sort of other anime where it's just like things are perpetually bad and they have no way of getting better but you still have to do your best to make mm. sure that you can survive is it lighthearted at all um, at times uh sometimes oh, but okay. it, for the most part it is very 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 heavy and in, in a good way like i i still adore it it's 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 gripping it, it is honestly gripping and the, i wasn't expecting to shed tears from this show that was I th I the think surprise of the season of, for me. One of the odd things about certain anime shows is that like, even when you hear the recommendation, you're still kind of thinking, hmm, how could I really get into that? Because <laughs> your instinct is like, well, this is about cells in a body. Like, like, how am I meant to invest in that? But I've heard nothing but good stuff. So like, <laughs> would you definitely recommend I start watching Cells oh, yeah. at Work for first season and then Cells at Work Black? Uh, this, I, I think it was the second season, or I'm guessing. Uh, would you like strongly or, recommend it? And so, how do you get invested like in it? Two, they're two very so the original seat. Yeah, the original cells at work is a pure comedy. It's right. basically like because it's a healthy body. It's like this is how your body functions every day. This is how you create shit and so on and so forth. This is why you sneeze. Um, and so that has two seasons. The second season is airing right now. And so Code, Code Black is the one of the unhealthy body, and it's on its first season right now. And so it depends on what you are looking for. I will say that like. Code Black makes you want to take care of your body more. That's for <laughs> yeah. sure. Um, but yeah, you get invested just because of how creative it is and detailing these processes in an yeah. oddly accurate way. Like, I don't even need to tell you like how accurate it is when you watch it. Um, it's, they just get very creative. Like, there are these things called cytokines that they are these group of, of chemicals, essentially, that activate your immune system, activate your T cells. And the way they portray that in the anime is that the dendritic cell that secretes these cytokines, he tosses out all these embarrassing photos of the T-cells, and the T-cells see them, and they get really riled up by that to hide the photos, and so they go and beat the invaders real good. Like, <laughs> it's silly shit like that, that you just, 
it brings a smile to your face. And at the same time, you get the idea of what the cellular process is. Mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't say it doesn't take any effort to get into. It's just, it's the same as watching a shonen. It's just fun. Yeah, that sounds cool. I'll check it out. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you start with the original or Code Black. Like like Kyle said, they're two very different shows. Wh- which one would you like? Is there one that you prefer personally? I, I look forward to Code Black on a weekly basis more than the original just because it has that like what's going to happen how are they going to get out of this kind of yeah uh, factor to it but the original is still fun as well because of its co- comedic nature as well maybe so because you maybe, don't you don't really look forward to watching a comedy every week maybe it's best when to, there's like so a watch watch code black and that's really heavy and then kind of have the comedy original as more of like a palate cleanser afterwards yeah you can do that. It's really funny because they on Japanese television they're airing back to back as well <laughs> with uh, the original first, then Code Black right after it. That's that's cool. Which I find funny. <laughs> yeah, and they're done by two different animation studios. Ah, alrighty, that's my shout out, and that is going to bring our podcast to a close on this wonderful afternoon, afternoon morning, afternoon morning. <laughs> uh, you can. Uh, as always, you can find me on Goomba Stomp, where this lovely podcast is hosted, as well as on Twitter and Twitch at Music Mojack, M-O-J-A-C-K. And we will see you all next time in three weeks' time. Until then, stay healthy. Please. Treat yourselves right. <laughs> Wear a mask. Ciao. <laughs> <laughs>